What's up, this Shaq Barrett, outside linebacker of the Tampa Bay Bucks, and you're listening to the Fresh Fantasy Podcast. What is going on, everybody? I hope you're having a great day today. This is Alex from the Fresh Fantasy Podcast, and this is the 40th episode of Season 2. Today, we're going to be talking about bold predictions, talking about why Chris Carson could be a top 10 running back, the case for Antonio Brown to lead the Bucks in fantasy points, as well as the case for Tyler Lockett and Deontay Johnson to be wide receiver ones. Joining me today to break this all down is a man who is a contributor to the football guys, a fantasy pros NFL expert, one of the best hosts in the entire fantasy football industry, with over 9,900, get him to 10,000 people. He is the talented and wonderful Dave Kluge. Welcome welcome to the show, man. Thanks a lot for having me on. You know, I'm, I'm excited that we got to do a show together a few weeks ago. We got to meet in no. Canton two weekends ago, and now, uh, now I'm on your show. I mean, uh, excited to be here, Alex. No, it's one of the beautiful things about the fantasy football industry of how connections, like I met you through Josh Larkey, and now we're friends, we're homies, we get to meet at at the expo, which is awesome. It was really cool to get to meet in person. And like, I keep saying to people like you have legs, I have legs. Like it's a, it's a pretty crazy thing, but I'm super thankful to have you on my show. And like I said, you're, you're known as one of the better hosts out there. I know you have your haters and stuff like that, but in my opinion, I watch a lot of your shows, especially your show with Scott Hanson the other day. It was so cool. Um, I'm a big fan of yours. I'm excited to have you on the show, but it is a little weird putting you in the analyst chair today. So I got to, I feel like I got to be on my best behavior as a host. You know, I don't want to do anything too crazy because, you know, I got a good host on. So if you're, if I have a good host on, I have to be a good host myself, but hopefully, you know, that kind of energy will carry over, but you know, I'm rambling, but it's bold predictions today. I actually did a bold predictions episode for my sixth episode of the season this year. Now we are at episode 40 doing one final bold predictions. And the thing is, I only have two more episodes till the regular season starts. So I'm doing an injury episode with Matthew Betts. And then finally, people, you've been waiting on it. I've been waiting on it. We're making it happen once again. I'm having Matt Harmon on to talk some reception perception for the final episode um, before we get into our regular season content. So this is my last chance to talk about some non-wide receivers today besides some injuries and stuff like that. So I could not be more excited. But with that being said, Dave, Let's get right into it. What is your false first bold prediction for the 2021 season? This is a flag that I planted back in January. As soon as the season was over, everybody had moved off of this guy. His ADP was plummeting into the sixth round of dynasty startups. And I said, you guys are crazy. Joe Mixon is going to be top five in carries and targets next year. And uh, it, it's, a like I said, a flag that I planted months ago. I've been riding it through the offseason. And some of the offseason moves have actually helped this case a little bit. And I wrote an article about it as well that you can check out. But Really, the basis of this, since the start of 2018, Joe Mixon is averaging 17.6 carries per game. That's the fifth most in the NFL behind just Derrick Henry, Ezekiel Elliott, Josh Jacobs, and Dalvin Cook. That's pretty elite company to be in when you're looking at opportunity. Now, Mixon has averaged just 3.2 targets per game over his career, but he has shown an upward trajectory and is essentially a lock to have his best year as a receiver in 2021. He had that foot injury last year, and we know that all kind of screwed up his, his season and really made the entire industry sour on him a little bit. But prior to that injury, he was averaging 4.3 targets per game, which was the 15th best among running backs. Now, just for perspective really quickly, only four running backs last year saw more than five targets per game. That was Alvin Kamara, J.D. McKissick, Austin Eckler, and Christian McCaffrey. Joe, Joe Mixon was averaging 4.3. 
Now that's close to that five care or that five target threshold. But if you look at a per game basis, week one, he had two targets, then four targets. Then he took a step back with three, but then he had six targets and then he had eight targets. So he was showing an upward trajectory every single week. And now with Giovanni Bernard gone, he is almost a lock to hit that five target threshold, which would put him top five. He's already been top five in carries. So I think this dude is going to be an absolute workhorse this year. Yeah, I'm with you. I think that's a very fair, again, if he stays healthy, which is the biggest thing. And people have this, you know, thing that, that he's injury prone. But I was reading a, a Fantasy Points article the other day, and I pulled this out that Joe Mixon has played 93% of his games from college and the NFL combined. I mean, I bet there is not many running backs in the entire NFL that are like top 12 fantasy running backs, like your McCaffrey's or Kamara's or those guys of the world that played 93% of their games in the NFL and college so far. And that's pretty amazing. So I don't think... Joe Mixon is injury prone as people make him out to be just because the last season. But, you know, NFL fans, we love recency bias. But the other thing that people don't talk about enough with the increased targets is, is just his overall volume. I get it. He was on a low sample size, but he led the NFL in touches for the first six weeks before he got hurt. I know it's six weeks, but now Gio Bernard is gone and he was already leading the NFL in touches through six games. And then his offensive coordinator saying that we don't want Joe, Joe Mixon to leave the field this year. And then the other thing, I have to dispel this narrative for the final time in this offseason because this is my last chance to talk about Joe Mixon. One of the things that I, I got in a couple comments on, on TikTok, I think it was, well, their offensive coordinator said that he won't play 75 plays a game. And I talked about this throughout the offseason, but I have to say this at least one more time. Christian McCaffrey's played two games with over 75 plays in a game in his entire career. So then he's saying that we don't want Joe Mixon on the field for 75 plays a game. All right, well, maybe there's two games this season at most that Joe Mixon is not on the field for like the entire game. I mean, you get what I'm trying to say, people. Again, right. he is going to be on the field at all times. I believe you. I'm with you on this prediction. If he's healthy, which I think he's going to be, he is going to be top five in total touches um, in the entire NFL. I absolutely love it. Just like I absolutely love Trey Lance who I think is my fifth most owned player right now in redraft. I think today I only have him in five out of nine redraft leagues so far. And my prediction is that Trey Lance is going to be a top eight fantasy QB in the second half of the season. Again, that's an eight game sample size. And over those eight games, his final four games are the Bengals, the Falcons, the Titans, and the Texans. Some very, very not good defenses. And the people are saying, okay, well, you know, what if Trey Lance doesn't start? Like what if Jimmy Garoppolo is his starter? Well, Never in NFL history, or at least in my lifetime over the last 20 years, have we seen a quarterback drafted in the top three that didn't start at some point in their season. And I know people are watching preseason. Okay, Trey Lance didn't throw eight touchdowns in preseason. But the thing is, every week we're starting to see him get more and more work. It was he's going to get no reps with the first team, and then he got one rep with the first team, and now he's getting an occasional drive with the first team. And then in the game, the last preseason game they played in week three, they're rotating Garoppolo and, and Lance in. I mean, Garoppolo played 14 snaps to Lance's 10. I get it. I know that he's going to be, you know, running the offense and doing the running plays and stuff like that for the trickery. But all we've seen is they're working Lance in more and more. And Lance completely changes that dynamic of their offense. And the biggest thing, people have heard me give the stats so much about Jalen Hurts. And I promise you people, we're not talking about Jalen Hurts today. I know you've heard enough from me. But I will give this stat one more time. This applies to Trey Lance. That from This is an Ian Harden stat, by the way, friend of the show. Of the 22 instances of a quarterback totaling at least 100 rushing attempts in a season since 2010, which is four and a half per game, 19 out of those 22 were top eight fantasy QBs in points per game. So if, if Trey Lance averages four and a half rush attempts per game, he has an 87% chance 
No, that was to finish as a top eight quarterback. So in every single quarterback really was a top eight point, top eight in points per game, besides only Tim Tebow in 2012, 2014 Colin Kaepernick, and 2020 Cam Newton. Again, the point is Trey Lance is going to produce in fantasy, especially with the weapons as he have once he starts. And based on history, what we've seen in the preseason, Trey Lance is going to start early and often. I would be picking him up on all your teams at the end of drafts right now. Are you feeling the same way, Dave? You know, I think that once Trey Lance takes over as a starter, he's going to be a locked and loaded QB one every single week. But my fear when looking at that is that Jimmy Garoppolo is 22 and eight over his uh, last, you know, since he's been in San Francisco and we know that he really struggles to stay healthy. So I think that if he goes down with an injury, that's going to open up the door for Lance, obviously. But my fear is that he's not going to do enough for them to take the starting job away from him. You know, he'd have to lose a few consecutive games or they'd have to go into the bye week with a losing record. And so far from what we've seen from Jimmy Garoppolo is that he can manage this team. He's nothing spectacular, but I think that he kind of takes on that field manager role. So that would be my fear is that, um, you know, as good as Trey Lance is and he's going to be breathing on Jimmy Garoppolo's neck, I don't know if Jimmy Garoppolo is going to lose the starting job. Yeah, and I think that's that's fair, but I, I, I just don't see it happening. I mean, sorry, for people that don't know, maybe you, I'm sure you know, Jimmy Garoppolo has played seven seasons in the NFL. He's played more than six games in a season, one time in seven years. That's it. Just one time. And you're telling me, people, that a guy that they trade two first round picks for is not going to be starting? If, if Jimmy Garoppolo throws one bad pass, you're going to have people calling for their name. And I've also heard the argument for what it's worth about oh well they want to sell tickets and if they want to sell tickets you're going to get the guy that they traded up two first round picks for and you're saying that jimmy garoppolo who's played more than six games just once in seven years is going to be the starter all season i know you're just being devil's advocate here dave I'm not arguing against you i'm arguing against the general public that really believes that jimmy garoppolo is going to lead them on a magical run this year i just don't see it happening he's never done it and again like i said trey lance is going to produce when he gets in there not if he gets in there but no, I, I agree. I, I agree that health is a huge problem. And that's the thing. I don't expect him to stay healthy. I think that there's going to be an opportunity via injury that will open up that door for Trey Lance. Yeah. Especially when he's gotten hurt in three out of his four seasons as a starter in, in yep. San Francisco. But that is what it is. Uh, Dave, what is your second bold prediction? All right. I started off a little bit chalky with the uh, Joe Mixon top five. That's nothing that, you know, people aren't aren't thinking is crazy. So so here's a spicy one for you. Chris Carson will finish top 10 in fantasy football scoring this year. Now, I just think that the Seahawks are going to feed this guy. You know, Rashad Penny, he's got his fifth year tender coming up next year, and they already denied that. We know that that Rashad Penny experiment has not worked. People are getting worried about DJ Dallas. You know, last year they were worried about Carlos Hyde. And and, and I just don't think that you should be worried about those guys. I mean, the, the Seahawks didn't trust them whatsoever. Last year they brought in Alex Collins off the street rather than trusting those two guys to take any sort of meaningful roles. A big thing is that fumbles have always been a knock against Chris Carson. Fumbles haven't been an issue anymore. Last year, he had just one fumble. He had seven the year before, and he got some bench time for that, but he came back and has only fumbled the ball once since then. On top of that, they gave him a two-year, $15 million extension, which shows that they want him to be a part of this team. And then everyone talks about Shane Waldron coming in here and just being this guy that is going to suddenly make this this air raid offense, and I don't see that happening. In his time with the Rams, in three of those four years, they finished top three in run in 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 running plays, so I think that this team is still going to be a little bit more balanced than the general public wants to uh, expect it to be. And then the other thing is that Chris Carson is essentially game script proof. You know, last year we saw him setting a career pace in targets. When they were up, they were feeding him the ball to grind the clock, and when they were down, he was getting involved in the pass game. So kind of like we talked about Joe Mixon, where a lot of people have just kind of 
gotten completely soured on him because of his injuries. Well, Chris Carson's injuries also came at very inopportune times. He's missed seven games over the last three years, but really that's just 2.3 games per season, which is well below the average for running back. So we talked about it. You know, Joe Mixon, he kind of screwed people last year by just sitting on your bench and you didn't know whether you could drop him, trade him, cut him, you know, what to do with him. And Chris Carson, his injuries always come in the fantasy playoffs when people need it most. But I, I think that he's going to be just fine. Last year, he finished 11th overall in fantasy points per game. And now with Shane Waldron there, I expect this to be a more high-scoring offense. And we got to hope that Pete Carroll learned from his mistake in the Super Bowl. And when they get close to that red zone, they're going to be feeding the ball to Carson. Yeah, no, I'm with you. I, I think that Chris Carson is going to be really good this year. I think top 10, again, it's a bold prediction, so I think it's realistic. But Carson's a guy I'm smashing in his draft value all day. I don't have a ton to add there. Like I said, Chris Carson's going against around the running back 18 or 19 right now. Um, and I'm taking him all day at that range. Um, I'd be taking DeAndre Swift over him, but people have heard me talk about that enough. We don't need to talk about that today. Um, but again, Chris Carson, a guy at his value, I'm smashing all day that has legitimate top 10 potential if he stays healthy and he is not that injury prone. He's only missed seven games over the last three years. I get you can knock him because he hasn't played 16 games. But again, seven games over three seasons. I mean, Christian McCaffrey can't even say that. So you know, that is what it is with Chris Carson. I am definitely a believer in him, but a guy I'm not a believer I, I, I'll, I'll, I'll say, though, you sold me on DeAndre Swift. The last two drafts that I've done, my home league draft and the Super Bowl, I made it to the fifth round with DeAndre Swift there, and I drafted wow. DeAndre Swift both times. So I, I was off that, and then, you know, this groin injury flared up, and then he started plummeting into ADP, and now I'm all over DeAndre Swift. Yeah, it, it is, and I think the people that don't believe me and think I'm an idiot, I mean, look at these people on Twitter. There's a lot of really, really, really smart people that are very in on DeAndre Swift. And when those really smart people are in on someone like that, you have to be in. I've heard the case. And again, all I'll say is this, that DeAndre Swift, if he doesn't produce this season and he doesn't get hurt, will be a historical outlier and not producing like historical. And again, if you don't believe me, shoot me in the DMs at Alex Caruso on Twitter. I'll be happy to send you all the information I have. I've been saying that all off season, just a quick side note. And I've probably had about like 60 or 70 people now DM me about Swift. And every single time I've sent those two threads and the video I made on TikTok to every single person. And, you know, we're converting people. It's like a religion at this point for DeAndre Swift. And, you know, some people are starting to believe in the other people that won't. Well, they're going to believe after the season. But that is enough about Swift. A guy that I don't believe in for my bold prediction is Daryl Henderson. My bold prediction is that Daryl Henderson will finish outside the top 30 running backs this season. And these are some stats courtesy of DF Bean Counter, friend of the show, Drew Ozenchuk. Um, he posted these the other day, and this is the Sony Michelle to Daryl Henderson comparisons. So, juke rate. Sony Michelle was the running back 15 in the NFL last year. Daryl Henderson was the running back 49 yards created per touch. Sony Michelle was fourth in the NFL, the 36th for Henderson. Average defenders in the box. Sony Michelle had the sixth most in the entire NFL compared to Daryl Henderson's 28th which means that Sony Michelle was facing a lot more defenders, a lot tougher situations to run in. And the only thing that Daryl Henderson had the, had the edge in his PFF grade, Daryl Henderson had a 79.2 PFF grade to Sony Michelle's 76.5. Um, I know Daryl Henderson has slightly higher sample size, but again, the other thing, draft capital, Sony Michelle was drafted in the first round or the third round for Daryl Henderson. And again, Daryl Henderson only averaged 11 touches per game last year. It's not like he's shown up to be a workhorse over the full season. And I don't think that Sony Michelle was added just because the other running backs are bad. We've gotten good reports about Jake Funk and Xavier Jones all season. I think it's more of a fact that they don't believe that Daryl Henderson is going to be a guy, especially when Daryl Henderson is 5'8", 200 pounds, when Sony Michelle is a normal workhorse type running back, 5'11", 215. I'm not saying that Sony Michelle is going to be a top 20 running back in fantasy people. I'm not saying that. 
I'm just saying that Sony Michelle has legit potential. I mean, he has two seasons over 200 carries when Daryl Henderson does not have that to his name. Again, I'm, I'm a believer that Sony Michelle is going to be pretty good this season. I think because of the timeshare, Daryl Henderson will finish outside the top 30. That is my simple prediction. It's not a Sony Michelle prediction. It's a anti-Daryl Henderson prediction. It's as simple as that. Are you feeling the same way? I am. And and I love that you uh, talked about the narrative here because in the fantasy football community, so often we just get blinded by analytics and numbers and, and we just you know refuse to look at the narrative for whatever reason. And you hit the nail on the head. Jake Funk and Xavier Jones have been getting raving reviews out of camp. There's no reason for them to add depth to this team when they already have those two guys. If they're going out and trading for a running back, they're trading for somebody that they want to be the lead back. So I like Daryl Henderson, but I think he is much better suited as a change of pace back. So um, I, I love that. You know, a, a lot of people out here are ignoring narratives and not listening to the beat reporters. And that's where you can find so much golden information that can give you an edge in fantasy football. Yep, absolutely. I'm with it. And like I said, don't draft Daryl Henderson where he's going. Take Sony Michelle way later. I think I just showed you in some of these really good stats that Sony Michelle was just better. I get it. It's on a smaller sample size. But again, if you don't take last year's sample size, look at the previous two seasons where Sony Michelle had 209 and 247 carries, and he hit almost 1,000 yards in both those seasons. This guy is a proven running back that's taken a proven workload before that Daryl Henderson has not gotten. And for that reason, I'd rather take Daryl, I mean, I'd rather take Sony Michelle five or six rounds later. Absolutely ridiculous to me, but that is enough about Daryl Henderson. Dave, what is your number three bold prediction for today? Now, this one is going to sound extremely hot. Like, it's going to sound like this crazy, crazy bold prediction. But let me break it down first before you start raising your eyebrows. I've got Clyde Edwards-Alaire as top three in scrimmage yards this year. Ooh. Yeah, sounds crazy, right? But last year, prior to Le'Veon Bell's arrival in Kansas City, Clyde Edwards-Alaire was pacing for 1,347 rushing yards and 472 receiving yards. That would have been 819 scrimmage yards, which would have been third best in the league behind only Derrick Henry and his 2,000 rushing yards and Dalvin Cook's historic season. So last year, prior to Le'Veon Bell showing up, he was averaging a 77.5% usage rate through the first six weeks. So six weeks, it's not a huge sample size, but it's also not you know extrapolating a one or two game sample here. Only James Robinson, Joe Mixon, Christian McCaffrey, and Derrick Henry had a higher usage rate. Now, I just talked about how you want to focus on the narrative a little bit. And what we saw last year was that every single running back in Kansas City was awful at pass protection. Clyde Edwards-Alaire, Daryl Williams, uh, Darwin Thompson, they were all absolutely horrendous. And they've got half a billion dollars invested in keeping Patrick Mahomes healthy for the next decade. So they want to make sure that he's protected. So they went out and got Le'Veon Bell. And it's not that Le'Veon Bell brings any sort of explosiveness to the passing game. I mean, when, when you watch him on film, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire was clearly the better running back than Le'Veon Bell was last year. But what Le'Veon Bell did a lot better was pass protection. And that's why he lost that role as the passing down back. So now he has been focusing on pass protection the entire offseason. It was something in, in LSU. I'm not saying this dramatically like he was never called on for pass protection. He was literally never called on in pass protection. LSU doesn't utilize their running backs in the pass protection game. So that was something that he had to learn last year in a shortened offseason because of COVID. He had no time to really get up to speed. He was thrown into a role as a pass protector week one and couldn't step up to the plate. So he's been focusing on it this year. Um, everybody on the Kansas City staff is saying that he is up for it this year. I think that he takes on that workhorse, workhorse roles. See, so somewhere between 75 and 80% usage rate, and it wouldn't shock me if he can hit 2,000 scrimmage yards this year. Yeah, I mean, let me let me hop right in on that argument. And again, if you don't agree with Dave's argument, well, how about the fact that before Le'Veon Bell signed, Clyde Edwards-Elair was fourth in the NFL in touches before Bell signed as a rookie with the COVID offseason and all those narratives that you people love to talk about. 
as a rookie with a COVID offseason. He was fourth in the NFL in touches the first six weeks before they signed Le'Veon Bell. Take that one step further. He was the running back 11 over that stretch with one touchdown. If he had yeah. two touchdowns, he would have been the running back five over the first six weeks before Le'Veon Bell signed. Um, and the other thing that, again, people talk about is the fact that in those six games, he had at least 60% of the snaps and he had at least 18 combined rush attempts and targets in each of those six games before Le'Veon Bell started. Again, this is a guy that if he stays healthy, he's the workhorse. Not a guy I'm actually targeting a lot right now, uh, to be honest. I don't hate Clyde Ridley-Lair, but I'm going to find out a little bit tomorrow. I'm having Matthew Betts in the podcast, like I mentioned, to talk about Clyde Ridley-Lair's ankle. And when you get an ankle sprain and stuff like that, I know I've heard before and having those guys in my podcast, the injury outlooks that those kind of ankle things can be a little bit concerning. And the fact that he got hurt last year, I'm a little bit off of him just because I'd just rather take your Chris Carson's and your um, DeAndre Swift's in that range. But if it's between – Elair and James Robinson, I'm taking Elair all day still. But again, I would just rather take Carson and DeAndre Swift because I'm a little less worried about them for now. But again, I don't hate that Clyde's Elair pick. And if he stays healthy, and again, I don't think he's a big injury concern. I think that's a very real prediction. I don't, it's definitely it's spicy. It's spicy for sure, but I don't think it's a bad prediction at all. Um, and something that's very realistic, especially in the offense that he is in. Um, I'm going to get a little less spicy. I'm going to save my two hottest takes for the very end. Um, but this is still a hot take for some people because I know this is a player that by the general NFL and fantasy public is not liked, but I think some sharper people are very on this guy. And it's Tyler Lockett. I know it's people. I know. I know. I Listen, listen, calm down. Please calm down. I know you don't like Tyler Lockett because he had three good games last year and he was an absolute dud in every other game. I get it. I'm with you. Okay. I'm not disagreeing. But what people are forgetting about is the fact that this guy has been top 18 in fantasy each of the last three years. I get it. He had a couple boom games last year, but that's three straight seasons. He's been in the top 18 wide receivers. They're in a new offense that's supposed to favor the short and inter inter intermediate targets, which favors Lockett in general. And the fact that he still out-targeted DK Metcalf last year, and people forget about that. The other thing, consistency. Beyond him being top 18 the last three years, he's had at least eight touchdowns the last three years. And you're like, okay, well, Tyler Lockett, it's just a product of Russell Wilson. Maybe he's not that good. Well, how about this? You know, you guys know I love to talk about Matt Harmon's reception perception and charting how well the guys get open. Well, Tyler Lockett last year was 13th in the entire NFL in beating man coverage. He was 13th in the entire NFL in beating press coverage. And he was third best in the entire NFL in beating zone. Third best in the entire NFL. And one of the two guys that was above him is a guy that we're going to talk about later on the episode. You know, again, it's absolutely ridiculous with the narratives of Tyler Lockett. Again, the touchdowns are there. How well he gets open is there. The quarterback is there. The fact that he's been top 18 each of the last three years is there. And the fact that there's a new offense that is going to favor him is there. I mean, every single part of it with Tyler Lockett, besides the fact that you guys are arguing that he was inconsistent last year, which is very valid, every other box he checks right now. So I'm all in on Tyler Lockett. Um, he's someone that I'm getting a lot in drafts, especially going as the wide receiver 20. In my bold prediction, he's going to finish the top 12 wide receiver. Do I have him ranked there? No. But again, he's been top 18 last year. It's not out of the realm of possibilities that he's going to move up six spots and finish as a wide receiver one. I don't even think that's that bold. So is Tyler Lockett a guy that you're buying at all, or am I am I just crazy? No, I, I've got Tyler Lockett as my wide receiver 13. And yeah, like you said, he's been top 18 in the last three years. He was wide receiver 11 last year. He was wide receiver 13 the year before. And I think people are just struggling to understand how his role has changed in Seattle. He's no longer a down-the-field burner anymore. Since Doug Baldwin retired, 
Tyler Lockett has become the new Doug Baldwin. He's running short routes. He's picking up yards after the catch. He's picking up first downs. And like you already called out, he led the team in targets last year. He is Russell Wilson's safety valve. Um, yeah, I, I feel like I'm kind of the conductor of the Tyler Lockett hype train out here. I've, I've been beating the drum for this guy for a long time. I absolutely love him. I think I'm up to about 35% exposure on him in my best ball leagues. Can't get enough of Tyler Lockett. Yeah, and I'm, I'm with you. And again, maybe maybe we're just idiots at this point, you know, because we had this thing, the same exact thing happen on Dave's show. And please check out the launch pad with Dave Kluge. I was on an episode a couple weeks ago with him and Josh Larkey. I would go check that out. But again, it, it was similar in that episode with me, Dave, and Josh that it was like a, a circle jerk, for lack of a better word, of where everyone was just agreeing with everyone's take. So we're either going to look like super geniuses or we're going to look like absolute idiots. But I think the one thing that I would say regarding people, whether you don't agree with our takes, is that Again, look at all these other smart people on Twitter. Maybe we're all dumb, but when there's a lot of smart people, I'm not saying we're smart, Dave. We're not smart in this hypothetical scenario. We're not smart. You know, we're just people that talk football. But there's other people that are smart and are well recognized that are believing in these same things we are. And if those guys are believing, then you know they might be onto something. Which means that maybe me and Dave, just only me and Dave, might be onto something. I mean, I'll say Matt Waldman. He has Tyler Lockett ranked above DK Metcalf this year in his rankings. Wow. And Matt Waldman. When it comes to watching film, he's one of the best guys out there. You know, he breaks down every single game. And he just said that Tyler Lockett is one of the best route runners that we've seen in a long, long time. And he just has that feel for the game. You know, it's not going to show up on analytics. He's not yeah. going to make your eyes pop when you look at his size and speed and all that. But he just knows how to find those openings. Like you said, third um, winning against zone coverage. And that's what he does. He just finds those pockets and sits there. And him and Russell Wilson, they've just got this sort of unconscious connection where they can just yeah. hit each other nonstop. Stop. Yeah, yeah. The only criticism I have is Tyler Lockett's hair. I mean, I don't mean to disrespect him. <laughs> his hair could use some work. He's like balding, and he's like 27. But again, I will take that discount because of the balding thing. Any day, he doesn't have as nice of a head of hair like Dave does. But again, that's enough about Tyler Lockett. Dave, what is your number four bold prediction today? So you know another guy that um, you know doesn't really get the analytics crowd too excited, but the film crowd loves this guy, Deontay Johnson. And I think Deontay Johnson is also going to be a wide receiver one. Um, he was the only, or uh, he was the he along with Keenan Allen and Devontae Adams were the only wide receivers that saw ten plus targets in ten games last season. 10 games where he saw 10 or more targets. So when you look at his overall numbers, it doesn't look that exciting, but you got to remember he was injured for one game that he missed. And then in two other games, he left in the first quarter with an injury. So when you look just at the games that he was fully healthy, he averaged 12.8 targets per game. That is absolutely bonkers. 12.8 targets per game. He's one of the best tackle breakers in the league. And last year, everybody wanted to focus on his drops. His drop came drops came in very, very bad games. They were... Um, you know, nationally televised games that he had some very key drops. And then he also led the league in drops. But as we've seen, drops are not sticky year over year. And he saw 144 targets last year. So it's expected that he's going to drop some of them. But there were a lot of big names out there that the fantasy football community is falling in love with that had even higher drop rates than Deontay Johnson did. DK Metcalf was one of those guys. McCole Hardman, Nelson Aguilar. So I'm not really focusing on the drops too much. I don't expect that to carry year over year. He is Ben Roethlisberger's favorite target. Ben Roethlisberger doesn't have the big arm that he did earlier in his career. And when he's looking for those short to intermediate passes, Deontay Johnson is always open. And then he is a menace after the catch. So, um, you know, my, my two spiciest takes right now, as far as rankings go, are Tyler Lockett at wide receiver 13 and Deontay Johnson at wide receiver 11. Yeah, I'm 100% with you. People that listen to this podcast know how much I love Deontay, but I think you're still even leaving other stuff out that's even more critical to add on to your already great argument for Let's him. Hear it. 
And that's the fact that, I mean, Deontay Johnson was sixth in the NFL in beating man coverage last year. Listen, people, if you're doing your dishes or you're on the toilet or something, you're not paying attention, just listen here. Here are the entire list of NFL names that were better than Deontay Johnson in beating man coverage last year. Terry McLaurin, Allen Robinson, A.J. Brown, Devontae Adams, Stephon Diggs, end of list. That's it. Those are the only five guys that are better than him at beating man coverage. Let me, let me give you the entire list of people that were better than Deontay, Deontay Johnson in beating zone coverage. Ready? Ready? You ready, people? That's it. Nobody. Number one in the entire NFL in beating zone last year. It's absolutely ridiculous. It, it's just beyond me. And again, with Deontay Johnson, people also forget the fact that he was the wide receiver seven from week six on. I know people, I, I sound like a broken record because I've said that on about every podcast that I've ever been on is the fact that he was the wide receiver seven from week six on. But that's not like it's a small sample size. It's a 17-week season. And from weeks six on, 11 weeks, he was the wide receiver six. Sorry, wide receiver seven from week six on. And if you, if you don't, again, week 17 doesn't count. I hear you. So let's not include that. He's still the wide receiver seven from week six to 16. It's just absolutely ridiculous. He gets open at an unreal level. Big Ben targets him at an unreal level. Again, this guy is just absolutely amazing. And then some, and I, I believe in him this year. He was one of my my guys last year and i expect him to do the same you know this year um again deontay johnson all the way um but my next take my fourth my on my fifth take i'm having trouble which one to do so i'm gonna i think you're gonna stay go ahead yeah go ahead you got four or five you got two left i have two left i have two so my second take this is probably not my spiciest take but people might think it is but there there's some spicy takes is that antonio brown will lead the buccaneers in fantasy points this year and I think people forget, you know, the narrative. If you want to play the narrative game with fantasy football, how good Antonio Brown really was. And right now, currently, he is my third most owned player in all of redraft behind only DeAndre Swift and Jalen Hurts. And the thing is that Antonio Brown last year, let me just set up the narrative for people, is the fact that, one, this guy didn't play football for almost two years. Going into the point last season when he played, he'd only played one game with New England over the last almost two years combined. But the other thing that doesn't get talked about enough with Antonio Brown that people never talk about is the fact that he played with the Buccaneers less than two weeks after signing. So regardless of anything that he did, Chris Godwin and Mike Evans were going into their second year with Bruce Arians, had all the time to learn the offense, to practice with Tom Brady, all of that stuff. And Antonio Brown, after less than two weeks, played with the Buccaneers. And then he walked in after not playing football in almost two years and signing with this team and then playing less than two weeks and then he was 10th in PFF receiving grade among players with 70-plus targets. He was 15th in the entire NFL in yards per route run after coming off the street. And in the 11 games played with Godwin, Evans, and AB, the targets in those games were Godwin 78, Evans 77, Antonio Brown 76. After this guy didn't play football for two years and signed with them after less than two, played with them after signing less than two weeks. And then beyond that, from weeks 10 to 17, which only doesn't include his first game with the Bucs, he had the highest target share in the entire team. And then you follow that up with the fact that he's been absolutely unbelievable in camp. You won't find a bad report about Antonio Brown except for he punched someone on the Titans. Every report's been saying this guy's been unbelievable. They've been saying he's having Antonio Brown practices where he just takes over. There have been reports that he's been Tom Brady's favorite target in camp everything like that, and you can still get him at the discount. Even if you don't believe my bold prediction, the fact that he's going to lead the Buccaneers in, in fantasy points, that's fine. But you can get him almost 30 spots lower in your drafts, and this is a guy that has legitimate top five upside. People forget this guy has been the wide receiver one overall in four seasons. Again, I know he's 33. I know he's getting older. 
but what guy can you get in the wide receiver 40s or low 30s that has legitimate top five upside, especially if Antonio Brown, I mean, if uh, Mike Evans or Chris Godwin gets hurt, again, Antonio Brown, again, I will not let anyone, you know, to say anything otherwise. Antonio Brown is going to be one of the biggest values in the entire drafts this year. Yeah, I mean, I, I've got a lot to add to that. Um, nothing against what you've said, but it, yeah. it, it makes no sense to me. You know, I started doing my best ball drafts in February, and at that time, he was getting drafted. His ADP was in the 120s, and I started tweeting, like, guys, Antonio Brown's ADP is broken, and then he slipped into the 110s, slipped into the 100s, 80s, 70s, and I still think he is a value there. Yeah. Um, you know, making planting a flag and saying that he will lead the team in receptions or fantasy points, that's a tough prediction to make, but I think that he is just as likely as Chris Godwin or Mike Evans and can be yes. had rounds later. Yeah. Another thing that I'd like to point out too is that he had six touchdowns over his last six games with Tom Brady, if you include the postseason as well. So not only is he getting uh looks and targets here, but he's getting them when they matter, when they get close to the end zone. So I'm with you. Um, you know, this this is the reason that I have been fading Mike Evans. That's not a knock on him at all. It's more so just a testament to how good Antonio Brown is going to be is and how much of a role he's going to carve out for himself on this Bucks on this Bucks offense. Exactly. And if you want to play the narrative game just a little bit more, think about the Panthers last season. I mean Teddy Bridgewater, who is not Tom Brady, supported three top three. 24 wide receivers. And then you get three wide receivers that are better than the Panthers wide receivers in Godwin, Evans, and, and uh, sorry, Chris Godwin. Again, it, it's just crazy to me. Antonio Brown's a huge value. You guys should be drafting him all day. I have him in seven out of nine leagues last night, so far. Um, but, you know, that is that with Antonio Brown. Dave, what is your final bold prediction of today before we get into our flag plant? Now, this one, you know, I've been saying this for a long time now, and it was like really spicy a few months ago. Now it seems like everyone's kind of warming up to this take, but I think Lamar Jackson is going to be the overall QB1. And, you know, some people roll their eyes at this because he just was two years ago. But there was a point in time, and and still now, you know, people put him in that top tier, but everyone's kind of pushing him to the bottom of the top tier. And I just don't agree with that at all. This guy is essentially a lock for a thousand yards rushing. The the stat that you called out earlier about how, you know, basically just 4.5 carries per game is essentially a lock to finish as a QB1. This guy's averaging double that. Um, now with the extra game, you know, it wouldn't surprise me to see him rush for 12, 1300 yards this year. But last year, when you look at it, he had Marquise Brown, Devin DuVernay, Miles Boykin, and Willie Sneed as his receiving core. This team is committed to improving on the passing side. They brought in Sammy Watkins. They brought in Rashad Bateman, which obviously is uh, you know unfortunate that he got injured. But Tylen Wallace is there as well. Um, and then another big thing that we saw was this fundamental shift in how they played last year. To start off the season, they really wanted him to be a pocket passer, and that is not Lamar Jackson's game. And during that time, they weren't winning. When they went into their bye, they had a losing record, and then all of a sudden they changed the script. Lamar's passing or Lamar's rushing attempts almost doubled, and he just became a completely different player. I wrote an article on this that gives you a really deep dive, but this team is showing that they can and do win when Lamar Jackson runs the ball. And over that stretch where he doubled his rushing attempts, he finishes QB2 behind only Josh Allen and by less than one point per game. So I think that the Lamar Jackson that we saw at the first half of last year is kind of why people are pushing him down draft boards a little bit. But I expect a MVP level 2019 season to be a little bit more uh, of what we'll see this year in 2021. I love that. I love that. I think it's very possible. Again, uh, the other thing that people forget is that combined last season, you know, people that are they're probably listening to this right now saying, you know, I didn't think Lamar was that good last season. Well, fine. Let's say let's pretend for a second he wasn't good. Dave, do you know the player that scored the most fantasy points the entire QB position over the last two seasons? Lamar Jackson? 
It's Lamar Jackson. Yeah. Over the last two years. I mean, it's just ridiculous how good this guy is. And again, the fact that they added Bateman, Watkins, and all these other weapons they had that weren't good are just lower on the totem pole, which means that they're going to be facing better coverage, more production. And then the fact that you take away that J.K. Dobbins is now out for the season, which might mean a little bit, a little bit slightly more rushing volume for Lamar. Um, again, I, I, I'm definitely in on Lamar. I have him as my QB four right now, but again, he could easily finish QB one. Um, it's just too hard to you know rank him over Mahomes, Josh Allen, or Kyler Murray. But again, for a real chance to finish QB one, Lamar Jackson absolutely meets that criteria. Um, I, I really like that pick. I think that's very interesting. But probably, you know, no disrespect, Dave, not as interesting as my final pick for today. And again, people that listen to my podcast and stuff, they've heard me talk about this the last couple episodes. But like I mentioned, with the final two episodes I have, this is actually my last chance to convince people. This is my last chance to talk about this topic. And that topic is Logan Thomas. My final bold prediction today is that Logan Thomas will finish as a top four tight end this year in fantasy. And Listen to the case. I was not in on Logan Thomas. I hated Logan Thomas three weeks ago. I talked about him on this very podcast and said, do not draft this man. And then I started digging a little deeper on playerprofiler.com. And I found out that last year he was number one in snap percentage in the entire NFL for tight ends. He was number one in route percentage. He was number one in routes ran. That's already a ton of volume. Beyond that, he was third at the entire tight end position in targets. This is his second year starting at tight end. The fact that beat reporters have been hyping him up all year and the fact that Curtis Samuel is already struggling with an injury and he has not been much there in practice. And then the fact that he is super hyper-athletic, similar to the Darren Waller narratives that we were talking about last year. I faded Darren Waller. I faded him because I saw more competition. He's not going to do it again. It's his second year starting at the tight end position. Even though he's hyper-athletic, he has way more competition. What's the same narrative for Logan Thomas? I know it's a little different because Logan Thomas isn't the clear-cut number one on his, on his team. But if you don't believe me in anything else with all these narratives, listen to this one thing I have to say. And again, I'm going to say it again. If you're doing your dishes or whatever, just listen up to this one thing if you're tuning out about Logan Thomas. Logan Thomas was the tight end three last year in fantasy football, okay? Tight end three. Ron Rivera was asked himself a couple weeks ago about, about his expectations for Logan Thomas. And he said, well, with Logan Thomas's stats a year ago, where he was the tight end three in fantasy, he's like, I expect him to produce what he did last year at absolute minimum. And I wouldn't be shocked if he gets 100 catches this year. We added speed and Curtis Samuel, Dynami Brown, and some of these other guys to help out the tight end position. I would not be shocked if Logan Thomas has 100 catches this year absolutely ridiculous and if you don't want to believe that that's fine but what about the volume the fact that he was number one amongst all tight ends in snap share number one amongst all tight ends in routes third in targets seventh in red zone target percentage the volume that he's on the field already helps so much that's so many more snaps that he get targets and stuff like that and we talk about volume is king so your volume is king plus he was the tight end three last year and then ron rivera himself is saying that i expect what he did last year be the minimum it's ridiculous Logan Thomas is going to be one of the best values in the drafts this year. I wholeheartedly believe in it, and there's just no case you can make against him. It, it's it's insane to me. I like the other players, and I wasn't on Logan Thomas, but I think I just proved it right there. And there's not a lot of holes you can pin in it. Logan Thomas is going to be a top five tight end. My bold prediction is he will be a top four tight end in fantasy this year, and I'm going to believe it. I like it. You know, I haven't really been on the Logan Thomas train too much, but you make a uh, a very compelling argument there. So I, I might have to reevaluate my stance a little bit. 
And I did too. And I'm not blaming people for, for not taking it. And again, you don't want to hear me monologue again about all these things I just talked about. I get that. That's fine. But I didn't believe either. It's the same thing with DeAndre Swift that people hear me talk about. I didn't believe. But then when you start to dig in a little more and you look at some of these things, you start to change your opinion. And as a fantasy player, if you want to be a good fantasy player, I'm not saying I'm a good fantasy player. You have to be willing to change your opinions when new information comes up. And when I found that new information, I changed my take. Simple as that. I like it. I, I've just kind of been thinking that, you know, Ryan Ryan Fitzpatrick doesn't throw the ball to tight ends, which, you know, historically he hasn't. But if you've got a talented guy that gets open, I don't think that he is going to think, oh, you know, that guy's a tight end, not a wide receiver. I'm not going to throw the ball to him. If he gets open, he's going to command targets. But it's similar to the Bruce Arians offense. That's always one of the lowest, lowest targets for tight ends in the NFL. He also played under Chan Gailey for I think it was like three or four out of his five full starting seasons. And Chan Gailey offenses are bottom two in the NFL like every single year in tight end targets. So, you know, it is what it is. I'm starting to lose my voice right now. So I'm sorry, people. So, Dave, I'll, I'll let you get into my final question. And that is what is your 2021 flag plant, your boldest prediction that you absolutely believe in before we close up the show? Uh, Derrick Henry will not be a top 10 running back in PPR leagues. And I get it. That is just like absolute blasphemy to say right now. This guy's a consensus lock for the top five. But I think that, you know, we're, we're expecting regression. But when you look at how the regression is going to hit, I think that his chance of getting anywhere near his ceiling is almost completely nil. You know, he's 27 years old right now, which is kind of that dangerous age for a running back. But he has seen 782 carries over the last two years, and no other running back has even seen over 600 during that stretch. So that alone is scary. And then you look at the fact that he just rushed for 2,000 yards. He was the seventh person in NFL history to do that. On average, running backs coming off of a 2,000-yard season average 1,072 yards and 7.8 touchdowns. Now, those numbers are skewed a little bit because Terrell Davis missed some games and Jamal Lewis missed some games as well. But even looking at every single person, no running back that's rushed for 2,000 yards has ever even been able to eclipse 1,500 yards in the following season. Additionally, Derrick Henry was the second oldest running back to hit that mark behind only Barry Sanders. So I think that we're expecting some regression here. But then also, I think that we're going to see a fundamental game change in how the Titans play. They had Arthur Smith as their offensive coordinator for the last three years, who really unlocked Derrick Henry. You know, he was always in a timeshare prior to that with it being DeMarco Murray or Deion Lewis. And I don't know if they're going to continue just giving the ball to Derrick Henry 350 times per season. They went out and they spent $15 million on Julio Jones. All the camp reports are that in addition to A.J. Uh, Brown and Julio Jones, that this wide receiver core is deep with talent. And when you look at it, every single guy on this team is going to do something. We know that Ryan Tannehill is extremely talented. When you look at all the advanced metrics since joining the Titans, he is one of the best quarterbacks in the league. And I expect them to utilize that now, take some of the load off of Derrick Henry. And we might see him do what he does, where he gets a little bit stronger as the season progresses. And, you know, playing against Jacksonville and Houston twice in that division, he's going to have some big games. But I think that he's going to have a lot of duds this season um, because they'll be throwing the ball a little bit more. And I don't expect him to finish top 10 in fantasy points. Yeah, I think the thing that I would I would point out to people is the fact that you said PPR. Because, again, the most catches he's ever had in a regular season is 19. Um, which is just over one a game. So I think that, again, if he misses a couple games, it's going to be really hard to finish top 10. Um, I think the one thing I would say, and again, I, I am very anti-Derrick Henry. I've actually never owned him on a fantasy team ever in my five years of playing. I think he is now the only player that like I've never – Julio Jones is the other one. I got my first share of Julio Jones this year. But I, I wouldn't – again, I, I think it's a fair take. I know it's blasphemous for some people, and 
I, I don't blame people for the argument, the fact that he's played five seasons. He's gone up in carries all five seasons. He's gone up in yards all five seasons. He's gone up in touchdowns all five seasons. Um, it's absolutely ridiculous. But I know, but the thing is that people don't understand, and I'm just going to say this for you, Dave, and I, I think I can speak for you here. You're not saying Derrick Henry is a bad player. You're just saying that he is going to have to be a historical outlier to meet his draft value this year. And I think that's a fair argument. Again, for the physical specimen that he is and the generational, arguably generational talent that Derrick Henry is at the running back position, if you're saying, okay, I'm going to bet on Derrick Henry because he's a physical anomaly and outlier at every position, go ahead. But again, it's a historical outlier. And that's why I'm not getting Derrick Henry because he's going to have to be a historical outlier. And if you think he's going to be fine, I'm not complaining. No worries. But for me and for Dave alike, we're just going to bet against that, you know? And again, I know trends are made to be broken. He could absolutely do that. But again, I think because of history, I'm willing to bet against that. And I'd rather just take someone like Aaron Jones or your Kamara, Zeke's, those guys of the world. So, I'd rather just take them, but go ahead. So let me point out one other thing too. When I said in PPR, and I wanted to highlight that a little bit and didn't really get to it, but Alvin Kamara last year was just a PPR god. You know, he just was was racking up targets and and yards and touchdowns through the air. And when you look at just his receptions and yards that he had on the season, that's equivalent to a 47-yard rushing touchdown ahead of Derrick Henry every single year or every single week, just what he gets through the air. So, like if you're expecting Derrick Henry to get up to Alvin Kamara's level, he basically needs to rip off a 47-yard touchdown every single week just to hit Alvin Kamara's floor. It, it's yeah. insane, the gap that you're looking at when you get a guy like Derrick Henry, who, like you said, has never had more than 19 catches in a season. Yep, exactly. Exactly. I'm with it. That's a nice flag plan. It's the first Derrick Henry-related flag plan, I think, of the entire season and 40 episodes. So, you know, props to you on that. But um, props to you for coming on the show. Dave, you're a phenomenal guest. You know, you lived up to all this hype that you get and the, the name you've made for yourself. I mean, people don't realize that, again, you're less than 100 followers away from 10,000. So please follow him um, to get him to 10,000. But people don't forget, like you talked about, that you came into this industry within a year ago now. Um, you've made a huge impact on a lot of people and a lot of good ways. You know, everyone has their haters, but the fact that you have people that don't like you, I mean, I think it speaks to your success, but you're a phenomenal guest. So do you have any closing thoughts or anything that you want to plug for the listeners to know before we get out of here? No, nah, I don't even try plugging my stuff anymore. It takes too much time. Just follow me on Twitter at Dave Kluge, K-L-U-G-E, and you'll see what I got cooking. Fair enough. Fair enough. I don't plug, but here's my Twitter. I love it. I love it. No, but for real, Dave, thank you so much for coming on the show today. And thank you, the listeners, the viewers, whatever you are, for listening to the Fresh Fantasy Podcast today. It's been a pleasure getting to be with you guys, talk football and all that. So the best way you can help me is please leave a review. You guys hear me say it all the time. It's the only way you can give me feedback to be the best that we can possibly be. So like I said, please leave a review. You guys already know what to do. And I hope you all have a great rest of your day.